Welcome to the Think Like a Champion podcast, the podcast where we reveal the mental strategies of elite performers so you can apply them to your own life and raise your game. I'm your host, Harry Wilson, and today I'm joined by Super Bowl champion, Hall of Famer, and current NBC analyst, Tony Dungy, to talk about how to level up your life and leadership by being uncommon. All right, Coach, we're excited to have you on the Think Like a Champion podcast. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be with you, and uh, I can't wait to get into some talk about championship mindset. This is awesome. Yeah, well, who else better to talk to than you? You know, Coach, you talk a lot about being uncommon. For those that aren't as familiar, Coach wrote a legendary book, and it was called Uncommon. And if you could just share the thesis behind how you developed that phrase and what it means to you and those that have read the book. Yeah, the really two places that it came from. Number one is from the Bible, believe it or not. Jesus gave a sermon on the mountain in Matthew chapter 7, and he said there's a, a wide road and a narrow road. And he said the narrow road is going to lead to more significance, and it's harder to be on the narrow road. You want to be where everybody else is and doing what everybody else does, but sometimes you have to strike out on your own. Well, my mom taught me that. And then I got to college in 1973, actually, University of Minnesota. My college coach was a guy named Cal Stahl. And in our first meeting, he said, hey, we want to win a Big Ten championship. And if we are going to do that, I can't do it with average people. I can't do it with guys who are just content to be okay. We're going to need that uncommon person who is determined to win a championship. And then he went on to say that there's two ways athletically that you can be uncommon. The first is to have a talent so rare that it sets you apart from everybody else. But the second way is to have a drive or determination in your heart that will allow you to do the things that everybody else could do, but most people won't. And as soon as he said that, I said, wow, that's got to be me. If all it takes is work and determination and perseverance, I can do that. And that's the way I'm going to make myself uncommon. So from that day on, that's kind of how I thought about it. And that's what drove my athletic career through through college and through the NFL. I love that. And leadership and success can be a lonely place. You know, sometimes you're on kind of that hill or that mountain by yourself. (laughs) But that's what you look for. Like when I'm developing teams, I'm looking for individuals that are willing to stand alone, you know, that are willing to. Absolutely. Yeah, that have that courage and their conviction and that willingness to kind of stand alone, speak up and act. It's tough. It's tough. I remember in high school, I was 14 years old, sophomore in high school. And my high school coach said, you know, you're going to be the quarterback. You have to be the leader of this team. And I remember saying to him, I don't want to be the leader. I want to be one of the guys. I'm one of the youngest guys here. I just want to be part of this group. And he said, it won't work that way. You are the quarterback, so you're going to be the leader, and they're going to follow you. Yeah. And I didn't. I don't know if I bought into that early on or not, but by the time I was a senior, I, I did realize I was the leader, and I could take the team in a positive direction or a negative direction. They were going to follow me. And that's, sometimes that's a lonely place to be. You're right. Let's talk about how we translate that to our personal or business life. You know, how can people develop their core values around that coach? Every family has leaders. Somebody is going to step up and lead that family. You get into a business setting and decisions are there to be made. Somebody has to step to the front and it applies in every facet of life that there are going to be leaders and there are going to be followers. 
I can remember my dad telling me when I was very, very young, you know, don't follow the crowd. If the crowd is going where you want to go, that's great. Be part of it. But don't just follow along blindly. If the crowd is going somewhere where you don't want to go, don't go. Mm. And that was a hard lesson. That's a hard lesson for an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old, especially you get to your teenage years. Everybody's going here. Everybody's doing this. Oh, dad, everybody's doing it. Well, it may not be beneficial. So you might have to lead and go in another direction and get people to follow you. That's not what we want to hear when we're young people, for sure. And not always what we want to hear when we're older either. (laughs) I know that's that's right. And I was going to ask you, for anyone who maybe hasn't heard of this term being uncommon or this concept around standing alone, what's one thing actionable that they could do to really start to implement this into their everyday I think for me, the biggest thing I did was as I was making decisions is to really sit down and think, what is going to be the best outcome? What is going to be the thing that we should do in this case? Not what's popular, not what everybody else is doing, but what gives us the best outcome? And then if I really think about that and come to a conclusion, then I've got to have the courage and the fortitude to say, okay, let's go in that direction. Let's do that. But so often we sit and, and we think, well, what is, what is everybody else doing? What is popular? What is easy? And sometimes the easiest way is not the best way. Many times the popular way is not the best way. So to really just give it that thought, what is the best thing to do in this situation? I love that. Yeah. I remember going to my first class at the University of Minnesota, and there's a guy outside the first day selling notes. He said, hey, the teacher, this this portion is on video. I've got the notes. You won't even have to go to class. And people buying these notes like, like crazy. And I remember thinking, okay, I could do that. And I could get these notes and I could probably pass the class. But is that really the best way for me to learn how to be a college student? And I did the uncommon thing. I said, you know what? I'm going to go into the classroom and I'm going to take my own notes because that's what I'm here for. So I had to work a little harder, maybe. Some guys had an advantage. Some ladies had an advantage. But to me, it was, what's the best thing? What's the right thing? And that's what we have to think about. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I love that. And it's kind of, you know, taking an inventory of what your core values are and just having that courage and conviction to stick to that, right? Absolutely. One of the things, Coach, that, that we've noticed with our business, Limitless Minds, leaders are really challenged balancing empathy with a drive for results. And I wanted to ask you about that relative to, you know, being uncommon, being a leader who's going to stand alone and also recognizing that, you know, particularly in today's world, that everything's shifting. Everybody's changing. There's a war on talent. There's the great resignation. You know, people are trying to reinvent themselves. How do you insert this balance of empathy and a drive for results when you're in a leadership position? Again, I think it goes back to being uncommon and not doing what necessarily everyone else in the world is doing. If I view my job as helping my constituents, my group, be the best they can be, that's going to put me in a different category than someone who says, I just want our team to win. I just want my group to be number one in sales. I'm just going to focus on the results. If we just focus on the results, we're going to miss a lot of life. We're going to miss a lot of the good portions of life. I was very blessed. My first job was as an assistant coach with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I asked my boss, Chuck, no, what is my job? 
And he didn't say, oh, produce winners or help us win a Super Bowl. He said, your job is to help your players be the very best they can be in all facets. And to do that, you're going to have to get to know them. You're going to have to get to understand them, what makes them tick, what things they need to work on, how you can help them on and off the field. So that really spoke to me. And for 31 years after that, my whole coaching career, I always remember that. And I thought of that. Yes, okay, I'm hired to win. And there, there's a scoreboard. But my real job is to help the people, my staff, my players, everybody in this organization be the best they can be. That's right, Coach. One thing I wanted to transition to is this idea around cultivating confidence. And it's really important because I think if you're going to be uncommon, there's a level of confidence, self-confidence that you really have to cultivate as well, right? And as one looks to forge you know, their own path, it really requires a, a level of confidence, a level of self-belief. And But a lot of people don't really know kind of how do I start? Where do I go, right? And so what would you tell listeners who are really struggling to find more inner confidence to kind of start to build that and start to cultivate that? You know, hopefully as leaders, we build that into other people. I was really the beneficiary of parents that poured into me and gave me confidence, of teachers and coaches who gave me confidence and helped me develop. And I think as leaders, that's one of the best things that we can do is try to develop other leaders, try to get them to see their strong points and give them confidence, have them feel like gosh, yes, this is why you're here, because you are special, you are uncommon, and you can trust yourself. Now, if you haven't gotten that, you weren't nurtured that way, finding it can be difficult because sometimes you get used to looking to other people for your validation. And the hard thing is to to say, you know what, I'm going to just focus on my relationship with the Lord, and I am going to trust that and say that I'm going to make good decisions, and I am going to do the right things, and I am going to help people around me, and be confident in that. It's not easy, but that's really what you have to do. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Russ, you know, my co-host Russell, Yeah, I've always admired his kind of supreme confidence in himself, right? Now, I'm certain, because he's human, it's not always at, you know, level 100, level 10, right? But... <laughs> But it's certainly a strength, certainly a strength of his. Right. But what's interesting when you do things differently. Right. When you are uncommon, when you're willing to stand alone, oftentimes you're met with criticism. Right. By people who are used to the status quo. Right. They expect you to take this path because why wouldn't you. Right. And because you're not a part of the group, they want to criticize, you know, your commitment to various things. Right. And so how do you overcome negative feedback when you've put all this energy into standing alone? You feel like you're getting gut punches on negativity in regards to the choices you're making, you know? That is one thing. If you are striving to be uncommon, if you're going to choose the path that not everyone is following, you just have to get used to handling criticism and accepting that that's the way it's going to be. And I think the one thing that I learned about criticism is people say, well, I ignore it or I don't hear it. I think you listen to it, but then you have to really do a a self-check and analysis. Is this valid? Is what they're saying actually true? And okay, I listened to this criticism. You said this about me. I've got to have the kind of wherewithal and the self-confidence to listen and say, you know what? I hear that, but it doesn't hold water. It's not true. Now I'm going to ignore it. 
Okay, here is some criticism. You know what? I can be a little bit better in this regard. That does make sense. I am going to change. And again, you have to kind of know the difference and be able to take in valid criticism and be willing to change. But then that criticism that's just frivolous, that just comes from jealousy, that comes from pettiness, or it just comes from people having a different idea than you have. You have to say, okay, that's for them. It doesn't apply to me. I'm going to keep doing what I do and do it the way I'm doing it. And again, that is a hard thing. Learning to stand alone, learning to take criticism, that's part of the growing process. That's right. Speaking of process, when you entered the league, you know, the, the time frame that you came into the league, there was certainly a, a stigma on how you had to, you know, how you were supposed to be as a coach, right? Like, you know, this is how you're supposed to be as a coach. You know, you yell at folks, you get in their grill, <laughs> right? It's, it's like that tough love, you know, that tough love, if you will, type of type of mentality, if, if you want to call it that. But when you became a head coach, you wanted to do things, you know, you wanted to do things differently, right? Yes. Your approach um, was not to yell and demand respect, right? But, but, but lead with teaching, lead with communication, respect. Um, and you really role modeled what you wanted out of the leaders on your team. And also, the why was it important for you to lead this way? And how did you execute against that across all of those years? Yeah. No, you are so right, Harry. When I came into the NFL, there was a kind of a picture of what coaches were like. This was Vince Lombardi and George Hallis blowing smoke on the sideline and just <laughs> intimidating people into being good. And that was the, the vision most people had of the coach. So... When Coach Noel told me, well, your job is to help your players, I thought about, well, who helped me the most? Which coaches did I really like? Well, it was the coaches that taught, the coaches that encouraged me. And that's what I decided I wanted to be. Well, that was fine as an assistant coach in the background and helping people. And all my players said, oh, he's been so helpful. He's so great. This has been awesome to have a coach like this who really empathizes with us and helps us. But as I climbed the ladder, and now I'm starting to be considered for a head coaching position, that's when all the criticism, the naysayers came, well, you can't do it like that. You'll never be the leader that way. You couldn't possibly be a head coach with that type of mentality. And for years, I wasn't getting that last step. I didn't get that head coaching job. And people said, it's because of your demeanor. You're going to have to change the way you look at things, the way you do things, if you want to take that final step to be a head coach. And I just didn't think I could do that. Number one, that my players would see through it. Obviously, that's not who I am. So if I tried to be something different, they would immediately say, this guy is phony. And then number two, I didn't think you had to be that way. Mm -hmm. And so I stayed with how I wanted to do it. I did get a job at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We didn't win right away. And people said, well, that's the reason why he's not tough enough. He's not mean enough. He's not demanding enough. And I knew I was. I just did it in a different way. And so there you go, back to what we talked about. Can you stand in the face of criticism? Can you do things a little differently than other people and not worry about what people say? Finally, we had some success and it kind of got validated, but it was a tough, long journey. Yeah, you know, and we're seeing a big shift in the typical head coach in the NFL now, I feel like. We're seeing an emphasis on communication, on mental health, yes, on, on locker room chemistry. But what is it like now to kind of look back and see that shift over time? And because, you know, I would certainly say that you are one of those catalysts for that. You know, what is it like to see that shift, knowing that you may have had a really big impact on the shift over time? Well, I do feel good about that because I wanted to show people that you could be uh, compassionate. 
You could be understanding. You could be an encourager and still be effective and still do the job well. And fortunately, I had a group of guys with me who kind of thought the same way, and they went on and had success. You know, Lovey Smith took a team Mm -hmm. to the Super Bowl. Jim Caldwell took a team to the Super Bowl. Mike Tomlin took a team to the Super Bowl and won. And those guys had the same outlook. And so the more successful you had people like that, that helped. It helped change the dynamic a little bit. And I think our culture changed too. And players speaking up and saying, hey, I need a little bit more. Yes, my mental health is important. And it's not just winning, but I've got to feel good about myself. And I think we're doing a better job that way of getting people in place who are leading in the right way. Yeah. Let's talk about the talent piece for a second, right? You've coached some of the greatest players of all time. Peyton Manning, of course, Warren Sapp, John Lynch. Edron James, I mean, the list goes on and on. And they have talented people and they want to get the most out of these folks. What was some of your philosophy around nurturing rare talent so that you could really maximize it over time? I think the biggest thing is developing those people, not only the talented players, but to be leaders and challenging them. I can remember having talks with all of those guys you mentioned and telling them, hey, we're not only going to need you to play well for us to be champions. We're going to need you to lead well. We're going to need you to be role models for the young guys, to show people how we do things, to set the tone, and to encourage them to be leaders. And as I said, that is sometimes not an easy place to be. And not everybody who's talented, not everybody who's dynamic wants to be the leader, but challenging them to say, hey, we need that. And when your best players are also the guys who are setting the tone for how we do things, they're working the hardest, they're showing the most concern about their teammates, that's when you really develop that championship culture. Yeah. Well, speaking of culture, let's talk team for a second as we get close to wrapping here. You also wrote a book in 2019 called The Soul of a Team. And for me, the kind of the thesis or like the the piece to it is like what separates truly a great team from a good or a mediocre team, right? And you mentioned that a team that has soul, yes. a team that has soul will accomplish more than one that doesn't. What is a team that has soul? Like, what does that look like? What, what does that really mean, a team that has soul? <laughs> well, that soul is actually an acronym for the ingredients that we're looking for. S is for selflessness. O is for ownership. U is for unity, and L is having a larger purpose. And so that's what you want. Hey, you want talented players, but you want those unselfish people that that's how you're going to build a championship organization, a great organization in business. You're going to have people that don't care about getting the credit, that just want to see the team do well. So you need that. You need people to own their roles. Whatever we have to do to get the job done, I'm going to be okay doing that. And if the leader tells me this is what's needed, I'm going to step up and do that. It may not be what I have in mind, but if that's what the team needs, I'm going to do it. Need unity. Not that everyone's going to be the same, not that everyone's going to think the same, but we can be unified in our goals and in our acceptance of one another, even though we're different. Well, those are uncommon attributes. Mm -hmm. We're not built that way as humans. We're not built to be unselfish. We're not built to do things that we don't necessarily want to do, and we're not built to be unified. So the way that all that can come together is if we have a larger purpose, if we have a greater purpose in mind than just me getting the best deal I can get, me being financially set. That purpose has to be team, city, 
community, fans? What is that larger thing that's going to bring us all into play? And if a team has soul, they're going to be tough to beat. I love that. And because, you know, you read a lot of self-help books and folks like our friend Simon Sinek and they talk about your why, right? Which is Mm -hmm. I totally believe in, like developing and, and nurturing and really thinking about your why. A lot of times that's reflected like in one's personal kind of journey, which is super important. But it's also important in the team, organization, community journey as well. It's like identifying what is that collective? What is that purpose and aggregate for people, right? What is that why for the org that's critical? And as a leader, I think it's really important to really paint that vision of that why or that purpose so people can embrace it, understand it, repeat it, right? Talk about it, feel it. It's really critical. Absolutely important. One of the great things the Pittsburgh Steelers did when I, I got there on our off day, they made the rookies, the new players, do community service work. And they'd have a list of places you could go, and you had to pick one out and go on your off day. Well, that that helped us. It helped us get involved with the community. It helped us do some things good and, and serve. But it also did something more. It gave us a feeling of being part of that city, of getting to know the fans and getting to know people there that were great people. So now all of a sudden, when you went out there on the field, you aren't just playing for you and your teammates. Gosh, I was at this community center. I was at this recreation center and these kids are looking at us. And you know what? I've got that in mind as I go out there, too. So it did help create that larger purpose. Yeah, I mean, because that starts to connect people, you know, and that's something we've noticed. Absolutely. And that's something we noticed in this last couple of years, right, through a pandemic and social injustice and all of these different kind of world challenges we're facing today is, is people are salivating for community, right? People are like, (laughs) people want to do big things that have purpose with the people around them. And so I think that's a critical piece that a lot of organizations don't spend the time doing because they're so focused on, you know, the, the outcomes of the business or the outcomes of the team. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that really emphasized to us that part of our reason for being there was to be in this community, it wasn't just to play a game at one o'clock and be done at four o'clock and that's our existence. No, you're, you're going to be in this community 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How are you going to make Pittsburgh a better place to be other than just going out there and having people watch you and have fun watching the game? What else can you bring to the table? And that was important. That's right. So coach, as we close here, what is one final takeaway? that you'd want to leave listeners with for how they can live an uncommon life? I guess it would go back to my mother's favorite verse in the Bible, and that is Matthew 16, 26. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And what that means is, hey, we can't just look at business and being successful. We can't just look at being an athlete and winning. We can't just look at the outcome of our career. What is our life really going to be like? How are we going to connect with people around us? What is our eternity going to look like? And that should be more important than just the things that we accumulate or the awards that we get or the bonuses that we get for meeting a quota on our job. What is our life really going to say at the end of the day? And I think if we think about that, that will point us toward that uncommon road. I love it. I love it. I appreciate you joining us on the Think Like a Champion podcast. Coach, before we let you go, what's next for you and what can we look out for you doing on the horizon? Well, my wife and I actually have a book coming out this summer, later this summer, called Uncommon Influence. 
And it is just kind of what we're talking about. How can we use our platform, whatever it is, to influence people for good and, and be a, something that brings society and people together? So that's kind of the next thing on our agenda. I love it. I love it. We'll look for it. Well, thanks again, Coach, for coming on. You know, when we think about championship mindset and championship people, you're at the top of that list. And so we're just honored. I can speak for Russ and the Wilson crew. We've been admiring you for some time. You came out of Minnesota around the same time my dad came out of Dartmouth. But, you know, he always admired you as a, as a man, not just a coach. And so he'd share that with us. So we appreciate it. Excited to share this with the audience. Well, thank you, Harry. Yeah, no, it's great to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening to the Think Like a Champion podcast with our guest, Tony Dungy. We hope that we've given you some tools to be uncommon and stand with courage and conviction in your life. And remember, you don't have to be sick to get better.